Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Wow, that's a zinger. Oh, that, that Max Williams, uh, let me yeah. tell you. Now, who's that? Who's that with that uh, beautiful dulcet laugh over there? Why, that's my ride or die, Mister Noel Brown. Uh, they call me Ben. No, we gave we gave Max a little uh, a little extra TLC in the opening here. Well, to be fair, he he gave himself most of that TLC. We just kind of <laughs> supplied the the impetus for the sound design, and then who knows where he went with it? It was probably a whole chorus of of laughs and jeers and boos and. Uh, applause and it's very Marching confusing how, how the virtual audience feels about Max. Lots of frogs. Okay, just okay. a lot of stuff in there. Crickets. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I feel you, but we we're we're gonna but we're gonna be buttoned up on our sound design at the front, and you'll see why because we're getting very weird as this goes on. You may, ridiculous historians, be familiar with the concept of a laugh track. <laughs> right? A laugh track. Noel, what is a laugh track? What would you just, if no one had ever heard of it, how would you describe it? Well, it is a track, uh, a recording of laughter that is triggered uh, for effect, uh, psychological um, or otherwise. It essentially is a pre-recorded sound effect that is intended to imply to an audience that something was funny, even if maybe it wasn't that funny. <laughs> 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 yes. Oh, you nailed it. And that's my actual laugh. I don't think Max uh, 
put that in or punch that up. I am. Well, that's actually, one of the kind of little laughs you'd hear for for realism in between. Like like like, like the uh-huh. good laugh tracks are designed to feel like there is some actual interaction with the content. Uh, so occasionally there'll be like a ooh, someone kisses mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. and like an episode of Full House or like a little in between kind of like you know, uh, yeah, an aww, or like maybe right or maybe a little in between kind of snicker like you just did or what would you call that <laughs> sort of a. Not a guffaw. Uh, what do you call that? Kind of a, a muffled, low uh, laugh. I call it an internet laugh. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's like a golf clap. But, yeah. yeah, there it is. It's it's the golf clap of exhalation. So here's our story, folks. Thanks to our research associate, Jeff Bartlett, we dove deep into the world of laugh tracks. And as you, so uh, we were arguing about this off air. I was saying, I, I, I was looking for the right word. Noel, you said astutely, and I don't think astutely covers it. Oh, uh, no, you nailed what? it. That's so kind. Yeah, no, Thank it's you. amazing. It's Laser focusedly. How about that? There That's we go. <laughs> there we go. And, uh, and so what we're talking about here is a way to guide audience experience. That's what uh, situational comedies known as sitcoms aimed to do. But where do laugh tracks come from? The story dates back. uh, If you're talking about the modern laugh track, the story dates back to the 1950s and a brilliant television engineer named Charles Douglas with the invention of the laugh box, but as we'll see, it goes even further slash farther back. Just made a lot of lot of uh, sticklers angry in the English. Oh yeah, and, and and leave it to an engineer to solve a problem that no one even knew was a problem. Where it's like, how you know, it was. It was <laughs> I imagine it was this eureka moment where it's like, how do we hold the audience by the hand? Because back in the day, things were much more stock. You know, early situation comedies were situational mm. comedies. Every character kind of was a type, almost like old school Greek commedia dell'arte and things like that, where there was like the fool and the the you know the the romantic and all of these different. Like kind of like stock characters. So it was already the writing kind of leading the audience by the nose. But what if we took it a step further and literally kind of told them how to react and, and told them what was supposed to be funny or touching or sad? So for anyone who has watched something by yourself, you understand it's uh, maybe somewhat rare for you on your lonesome to go, Aww, right. or to go, ha, ha, ha. I mean, something really <laughs> has to nail it and be incredibly funny yeah. for you to laugh out loud when you're by yourself. Because, you know, that's why it's fun to go see movies with an audience or like see theater and things like that. Because laughter and emotion is kind of infectious. And what the last laugh- contagious, that's yeah. right. And what I guess Charles Douglas kind of figured out was that he could enhance the view, quote unquote, enhance the viewing experience by kind of letting people know how to feel. So if they did happen to be by themselves and there was no one around them for them to laugh with, they had this kind of virtual friend group to like laugh with. Mm, yes. Yeah. Because. Humans like to feel connected, right? And this is where the laugh box comes in. By the way, folks, for those of us playing along at home, 
It is the Laugh Box L A F F. Stylized. Box spelled the regular way. Trademark. Yeah, yeah. You know, La- you know, it's laugh like, Box. Trademark. It's like yeah. more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because a laugh is uh, spelled incorrectly with a double F is somehow sillier. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You get it. So if you have ever seen sitcoms from the 1950s on, uh, you the 1950s, I would say, until about early 2000s in the U.S., then you are familiar with Charles Douglas indirectly. Nowadays, pretty much no one likes laugh tracks, right? It, it's like a weird meta commentary because everyone is aware of it. But back in the day when this was happening, it communicated directly with people. Now, if we have writers in the audience, if we have TV writers in the audience, uh, Noel, Max, and I, love comedy and we legitimately research it and send stuff we like to each other. Uh, If we have writers in the audience here, fellow ridiculous historians, you will know that often uh, these days, a laugh track is immediately identified as a band-aid over a bad joke. And maybe we do a sitcom here where it's like, uh, you know, uh, we're doing like, oh gosh, perfect strangers. And in on the wings of their dreams of our dreams or something. And one of us walks in and says, no, I ain't got all these grapes. Ah! And then someone looks up from the couch and they go, well, that's grape for you. Well, that's a real how do you do right there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. And, you know, it's um, especially shows like that, like Perfect Strangers, for example. And again, like this was created in the 50s, but the the imprint of it, you know, really carried over into the 80s. And it really becomes sort of a historical marker of like early sitcoms again through about the mid 90s when it was much more standard. And when things were filmed like on sets, you know, there there was also obviously a period where there were live studio audiences. And if there wasn't a laugh track, there might be like a like a sign that would come on that it would say applause. And then people would, you yes. know, and, and, and sometimes before the actual shoot, you'd have like a warm-up comedian that would come out there and kind of teach people the ropes and like get people kind of like oiled up and ready, you know, to to laugh. And then that sometimes would be mixed in with maybe other sound effects. Totally. You're absolutely right, Noel. This is a uh, this is a thing I see when uh, I I go to watch like live tapings of you know late night shows or whatever. What you don't see when the program starts is easily the first thirty minutes of the warm up comedian. And also, don't think I didn't clock that oil up language there that you oh, know man. I mean, it just, just right. kind of again you, we teach people how to how to react and that's also what this laugh track <laughs> okay. is doing it's kind of getting people yeah, yeah i hear you it's getting people um in the mindset to kind of engage with the content but also sort of be not really given the agency to engage of their own kind of accord. And again, it it sometimes is, like you said, a Band-Aid and becomes sort of a hallmark. And when you hear it now, it's usually used in like, 
you know, Adult Swim, like Too Many Cooks or something like that. It's meant to like satirize these types of shows where the laugh track is almost like, you know, dated, almost like a filter you'd put on the video to make it look more like, you know, vhs or something. Ooh, good call. Yeah. And there's a guy who agrees with us. He is a journalist named Rob Walker. Way back in 2003, he wrote a piece for the New York Times called The Lives They Lived, Making Us Laugh. And uh, one thing that really stands out in this article is a conversation with a professor of psychology at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Robert Provine or Provine, but I suspect Provine, uh, who says, oh, he's an actually guy. Uh, And I say that with deep affection. He says, actually, laugh tracks do increase the likelihood that you'll think a joke is funny and laugh at it. So what Charlie Douglas and company were doing was based in fact. This is the funny thing about laugh tracks. For a long time, they worked. You would be uh, passing by casually, casually encountering a show, perhaps. And you would see, you know, a pratfall or something. And then all of a sudden you hear this cacophonous laughter. Everybody in the perceived audience is losing their mind. You're a person. You like cool stuff. So you are more tempted to laugh. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? 
Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, Praveen refers to in that same New York Times article something called a laugh detector that is, you know, similar to like when when we hear or see somebody yawn, we're compelled to yawn. And this laugh detector is sort of hardwired, as he describes in that article, into our brains. And it's sort of like infectious. When we hear somebody start to laugh, it triggers that response in ourselves. Also, did you guys know it is possible for us as humans to pass a yawn to our cats and the cats to pass it Absolutely. back to us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Thought I should just drop that note in here. Also blink smacks. Ah, did not know that one. You can blink at your cat. Blinking at a cat is like hugging the cat. I only do staring contests with mine. Aww. And I always win, by the way. <laughs> All right, well, put a laugh track in. Or an awe. Up to you. So, <laughs> so uh, Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? <laughs> We don't know. We don't know. So there's this interesting research that goes into the history of the laugh track. Uh, If you look back at some of the earlier experiments, the guy made a list of 25 pre-laugh comments, by which he means comments that elicit the laughter response. And they're very basic. You're not going to hear any surprises. We're not going to read all 25, but there are things like, well, it was nice meeting you too. And I'll see you guys later. That kind of stuff. 
almost catchphrases. You know, if you've ever seen yeah. The Fisher King, um, what's his name? Jeff Bridges plays this like shock jock DJ who does like a TV pilot. And I believe his catchphrase is like, well, forgive me. And like, you know, a, a line like that always gets the laugh. Or like, you know, Steve Urkel saying, did I do did that? I or whatever that? it might be. Like, th- those are the moments that are like, they're they're signposting, you know, what they want their brand to kind of be built around in a lot of ways too. Yeah. And this, uh, this is proven. Laughter is contagious. Just like uh, Max, you pointed out that yawning can be contagious across species. So here's the thing. The research is in, right? Uh, We know laughter is contagious, not just between human groups. It's not just a universal human thing. You can communicate amusement, right? And share that experience, just like yachting. And that necessarily means that something like a laugh track, some sort of leverage or exploit of that realization came to pass way before television. Think about the last time you were at a concert, maybe, or a religious event. There are certain things you do as a group, right? And these are social cues. So the idea of having some sort of social cue Ha ha, laugh, clap, 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 boo-hoo-hoo. All that stuff is very old. And experts say it dates back to the Roman Empire, if not before. Uh, Nero, a guy who, it, like, is his own episode, honestly. Uh, he's in the, not not, yeah. a good, not a great guy. Not the best. Is he the no, one that he, fiddled while Rome burned? He was a, well, a that, psychopath. A lot of the, that, yeah. uh, that might be propaganda, but it's like between Nero and Woodrow Wilson for terrible leaders. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of funny, yeah, man. Woodrow I don't know. If, uh, a, a little tiny aside. I don't know if y'all remember this, but back in the day, there was a piece of CD burning software. I don't know if y'all remember when you would like burn CDs and it was called Nero. I always thought that was a I little bit Nero. like inappropriate. <laughs> right so so this this is the thing rome had a lot of you know bread and circuses not to be too on the nose uh they had many amphitheaters it was uh there was a drive toward entertainment right like to either amuse or distract the civilian population and nero was a real ham. He loved chewing the scenery. He loved performing. He was called by the uh, people that he didn't kill, uh, an actor and a poet, and also, of course, the emperor. But he did something uh, that might surprise folks. It's very big dictator energy. He would have sold... Yeah. (laughs) He would have sold... Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, no, let's keep it in. The laugh track will save us. Uh, So he he had members of the military. He forced them to go to his shows. Like if you've ever felt socially obligated to go to a show, like uh, Noel one time, a couple times actually, you felt socially obligated to go to one of my like weird improv things or or stage performance. And I'm glad you were there. 
but also you were not a member of the military and you did not have the emperor telling you upon pain of death to clap. Well, that's the first applause sign. It reminds me of like, if you watch the Sopranos, uh, they're always referring to themselves, the the gangsters and the Sopranos as being like Roman soldiers, because obviously Mm. Italians are descendants of of Romans. And there is this hierarchy of like the capos and like the sort of like, you know, pecking order. And a, a joke that always kind of comes around in the Sopranos is everyone laughing at Tony Soprano's bad jokes and there comes a moment in the mm-hmm. series where he kind of gets wise to that where he realizes that like everyone's just sort of kissing his butt and obviously what we're talking about here with Nero was very intentional but it happens sort of like you know organically too in leadership structures where you have the the kind of head honcho and everyone sort of falls in line and acts as though what everything that person says is is hilarious or genius Mm-hmm. Sort of a yes man kind of mentality. But what we're seeing here with Nero is a sort of organized, codified version of that, where these literally conscripting soldiers to sort of pad the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Weird time. And in the 1500s, we see this trend return. I mean, this trend has always existed. There's a French poet named Jean Durand who <laughs> buys a bunch of tickets to his own show and gives them out for free with one caveat. He says, I'm giving you this free ticket. You have to go to, when you go to my show, you have to applaud my poetry, whether or not you like it. Well, isn't it interesting how there's theater on both sides of the the proscenium? You know, there's obviously you know, scripted kind of stuff happening on stage in terms of a play or, a, you know, stand up or whatever it might be. But oftentimes, like with award shows, for example, you know, there are seat fillers and there are individuals that are hired to come in and pad out the audience to make it look better attended than maybe it actually is. Or, you know, to kind of take the place of people that are getting up and going to the stage. It's all theater on that side as well, to a degree. Yeah, agreed. And we, <laughs> we head forward to the mid-1700s. We see this becomes a, a popular thing in French opera houses. This didn't just start with Hollywood award shows. It's, it's a very old, very old concept, as you pointed out. And at this time, in the 1700s, the theater would consider it a cost of production. You would pay organized groups or crews to come through and clap their hearts out, you know, laugh as loud, maybe weep openly. Uh, and mainly, probably had specialized folks, you know, this guy's yeah, a weeper. This guy's yeah. a good clap. He's got a really a good clap, you know, yeah. big hands, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you know I love clapping. We got to get to this. Noel, uh, what a great setup. Clacours, can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, it's essentially um, something that the Shorter Oxford Dictionary uh, defines a clack, rather, from the French verb claqueur as a band of hired applauders in a theater. So at this point, it was already so kind of entrenched in culture that it got its own word. So this is just an escalation or a kind of evolution of what we've been describing, you know, from the start, from back to Roman times. Um, And it really is part of the cost of doing business because you want, especially for like an opening night, you want to make a big splash. And a lot a lot of times it's the same with like critics. 
if you have a good critical response to something, people are more likely to shell out the money to go see it. And back before the days of maybe like instant Rotten Tomatoes reviews, it would be more a real-time experience where maybe like, oh, well, these people seem very well-to-do and they seem to be enjoying it. It's, it must be good. Yeah. Yeah, because people pick up social cues, right? That's the hack. That's the exploit. And uh, I love this. I love this idea because, um, Max, you may not know this, but Noel, you know this very well. I love clapping. I love clapping for people. One of the number one fears in the modern West is the fear of public speaking. So anything I can sure. do to support, I'm on board. Uh, and I think- it's very I, kind I think, of you. And I, and again, I know it comes from a place of honesty because you would want to be treated that way as well. And you have been in that situation where maybe walking on the stage, your worst possible fear would be crickets. Nobody wants crickets. Crickets are great. They like, you know, eat certain insects that are maybe bad, but like nobody wants to hear them when you just, you know, made a zinger or told are a very personal story. Also, they are. So maybe we should just eat them so they don't like, you know, Did chirp. Did have an episode about that or something where we're about where yeah. we're all talking about eating crickets? Yeah. yeah. Delicious. God only knows, guys. God only knows. God only right. knows. So and this is this is a part where, you know, there's some applause or uh, Noel does a really good rah, rah. Like a whole lot of It's just a, you know. Okay. Yeah. And it's only Darth Vader if you breathe in first. I got you. Ooh, terrifying. Yeah. They'd be like, (sighs) can I say really quickly, um, early in my career when I was still in college, I used to record uh, a symphony orchestra pretty regularly. And a big, the the biggest pain in the butt about those edits, it was literally just two microphones in a beautiful sounding concert hall, was editing the applause. But the huh. funny thing about applause is when it's being recorded on like two microphones, like a stereo microphone in a room, it is easy to just cut out a giant chunk because once a whole audience is kind of going wild like that, it just kind of becomes white noise. And uh, there are very, unless there's like a really, you know, obvious prominent clapper that's closer to the mic or someone saying a bravo or whatever it might be, the din of a crowd is pretty interchangeable. And it really does become this kind of, (sighs) it's very interesting. The, the, just the sonic phenomenon of applause. Maybe Darth Vader was applauding. The entire time, that changes the story. Yeah, like what was he applauding? Your guess is as good as mine, <laughs> right? Yes, just so. Uh, there's also this idea of organization, right? So these claqueurs, uh, they would they would roll deep, and they would be coached in advance, right? You clap here, or you or you weep here, right? Uh, and they were orchestrated. I like that comparison. They were orchestrated just the same way a conductor says to the cello or to the oboe, you go in here, you stop here. This is an old, old thing. And, uh, you know, we don't have to get too lost in the history. Well, and, and to your point, Ben, the orchestration of applause if you've ever seen a really good uh, performer, you know, do crowd work where they go, okay, the left side of the audience. Yeah. yeah. Now you're competing with the right side. 
it really is this kind of like collective unconscious uh, that becomes this sort of like unified thing that you can game not only psychologically but physically by saying you know you you applaud and then for this and then you applaud for that and you can kind of get a sense of like how much people like something by how loud they get or how you know raucous they get. Just the ladies. Hooray! Just the dudes. Hooray! Just the people. You know what? If you're a person, clap. What's that old Mitch Hedberg joke? Who here feels like a person? Who here feels like a animal or a monster? Well, I'm not going to write Mitch Hedberg's jokes for him. He he did it. God bless. Uh, there's also a, uh, of course, there's an equal opposite reaction, right? Nothing exists in a vacuum unless you have cleaned my vacuum which I did earlier, and there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, what we mean to say is... That I'm glad you got to bring that out into the actual podcast. You made that joke when we were hanging out the other day, and I thought it was spot on. Uh, things thanks, definitely man. exist in a vacuum. He he was really proud of that joke, because I don't remember where he made it to me, but he made it to me via like a text or like oh a base campaign or something. But he really went out of his way to make that joke to me also. I want you guys to it's like me. Aww. And... Laugh at me. I don't, I want, I want to be clacoured, not booered, because there were booers. That's a real thing. That's the equal opposite reaction. You might have forced applause, makes your show look good. Uh, but of course, there were a lot of artists who say that's BS. You know what I mean? That's a frame up. My work exists on its own merit. Yes. But then they can this get... This becomes this... Yeah. This, yeah. It almost is like this like racket, right? Where, you know, they, they knew about the system and this certain kind of like opposite contingent um, of like almost saboteurs mm. kind of knew the game. They're like, well, we're going to buy a bunch of tickets and pay these people to come and jeer and boo and, you know, catcall and like do all kinds of things to disrupt the performance unless... You pay a vig, you know, it really right. is kind of like a, almost like a protection or, or like, uh, what's the word collection kind of situation where it's like, be a shame if something happened to your nice play. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, this is the thing. It is, it is a bit of a racket because, you know, if you have this established hierarchy of people who bring crews to clap for your shows and you don't make nice with them, you know, you don't, uh, you don't pay your due deference, uh, then the, the claqueurs, or what were they called? The chefs de claqueur, uh, chefs de claqueur. I think that's the, uh, the, the, the full, the, the full extended title. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if you didn't toe the line with these folks, then they would, buy the tickets themselves, and they would tell ticket holders, don't clap. Or they would say, wait for this one guy, and then boo him. Oh! Oh! And so this is like, this is mob-style heckling. It's crazy that the mob is not more into this currently. I guess they have other stuff to do. 
Yeah, and um, and and then and then the the promoters or whomever you know was hiring the claqueurs, the ones that were meant to kind of big up the performance, got wise to this sort of like terrorist contingent <laughs> that was coming in, and started to hire like like spies or moles to sort of like infiltrate the you know the saboteurs and figure out who was coming in there to kind of disrupt things, and then issuing you know kind of equal and opposite threats in in their direction and making sure they didn't make it in to the performance. It's nuts. There is so much more to the laugh track. The laugh track existed before sitcoms, before television, before radio. It's an ancient idea, and Douglas leveraged it very, very well, I would say. I mean, okay, let's go back to the present. Noel, when's the last time you saw a show with a laugh track? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it was that Louis C.K. Um, kind of like revival sitcom sort of parody Life with Louis or Lucky Louis. Rather. Oh, yeah. And it had a, a laugh track. And, and Or again, like things like some of these Adult Swim little sketches or kind of late night shows where it's meant to make something seem dated or kind of create like a certain atmosphere. Sometimes you'll see it in... You know, like um, movies, for example, like if you've seen the movie Nope, there's this whole subplot surrounding a sitcom called like Gordy's Home or something like that about a orangutan. And you hear that, you know, when you see it played back, you know, on a screen and it usually looks kind of like, you know, has like sort of like scan lines and like very dated kind of visuals as well. And that creates this sense of a time and place. Um, but usually it's either used for that kind of stuff. You know, uh, another good example is in the movie Natural Born Killers. There's a whole sequence where it's like this fantasy world, this sort of like really macabre sitcom involving Mallory, uh, the character played by Juliette Lewis, and her father is this like abusive, schlubby, you know, awful man played by Rodney Dangerfield. And in those uh, sequences, there is a laugh track um, because it's meant to be this surrealist kind of experience where you're you feel like you're sort of placed in this sitcom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, laugh tracks subsist in a lot of British comedy way after That's they right. fell out of favor Very old school. in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, there's certain form- formulaic Britcoms that definitely, I believe, and only more recently with shows like The Office, you know, has that, have they tried to lean more into more of like a cinema verite or like kind of like documentary mm-hmm. style? But you're right, like shows like Absolutely Fabulous, long after, maybe not long after, but long, uh, you know, after a lot of American sitcoms abandoned that, you did still see it in uh, in, in British and maybe other European uh, sitcoms. Mitchell and Webb look one of the coolest sketch shows to come out of the United Kingdom in recent years. They use a laugh track. Also, Max, you got some opinions. You've been sabotaging us this whole time. Bro, I hope you are clacking and not booing here. We'll never know. Well, we will know. We will, we will know eventually, yes. I don't know, but I, I do find that funny because you go back and like watch like Seinfeld. And I don't know if it was a laugh track or live audience or anything like that, but well, it's it, a it combination. A, yeah. They, yeah. They, they would sweeten, they would sweeten, quote unquote, the audience reaction that usually was triggered by some sort of sign or some, again, to your point, Ben, orchestration. And then they would sweeten it with things that made it feel more organic or like, you know, adding those little kind of moments of sound design or Foley work mm-hmm. that uh, they would do after the fact. 
you know i just find that funny because it's like i i think of like you know i have that like you know belief that when a show has like a laugh track or something like that i kind of just like the great a little bit but then you think about like seinfeld's like one of the yeah, greatest sitcoms in american history probably it's like oh yeah it has that there yeah was still in that era though you know it still was and honestly it was studio executives that were sort of like you know hooked on the stuff they were like no 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 no, we need this you know like mash for example a lot of the creators of mash which which was an on location type show it was a comedy that was about you know the vietnam war and while it was it's very funny it also has some heavy stuff and some more drama it really is kind of more of a dramedy i guess than like a full sitcom the creators of that show fought pretty hard with network executives to ditch the laugh track and they finally got to a compromise where they would only allow them rather the studios would only allow them to not use it during heavy moments or like you know things in an operating theater because mash is about these uh you know wartime field surgeons so no what you're saying is studio executives were hooked on two things and one of them was laugh tracks Da, 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 it's, very it's very funny, Max. No, folks, I'm laughing. Quite a, money. I'm they, laughing. They also like money. Yeah. No, I'm or, laughing too, or, but it's true. Studio executives like things that they know work. They're not about taking risks. So it takes a lot to have a sea change in like the whole culture of television when it's been happening since the 50s. You know, they're like, no, 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 no. Why would we change the formula? We know it works. Right. Yeah. You want predictable, predictable results right you want measurable projections of income and if the soul of the creative act is lost in that pursuit a lot of people make a devil's bargain and say so be it Uh, so (laughs) this is the thing right now as you're listening to this episode you are probably not hearing shows with unironic laugh tracks the laugh track now has become meta commentary uh, there's a great episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia wherein they create a sitcom and show the dangers of laugh tracks. It's a very clever show, and I recommend uh, people check it out. Well, it's funny mentioning the dangers of laugh tracks. Um, there's an article on Looper, the real reason TV sitcoms stopped using laugh tracks. The reference is a 1974 study that found that laugh tracks um, – created a sense of what's called conformity pressure Mm -hmm. in test subjects. Um, You know, and the New York Times reported on these findings that compared Seinfeld with this, like, you know, baked-in laugh track with The Simpsons, which never had a laugh track. It was was an animated show. It was an animated sitcom. But unless I'm mistaken, The Simpsons never had a laugh track, even though it certainly debuted during that era. The executives must have been like, oh, no, cartoons don't get laugh tracks. But, um... (laughs) Didn't didn't like the Flintstones have laugh tracks? Like I swear, some like old. They also you had know, cigarette commercials. I just I don't well, know that's, if that's yeah. a good basis for us. Fair enough, but my point is the study found um, in Science News that when they compared reactions to Seinfeld with the laugh track to reactions to The Simpsons, there wasn't really that much of a difference yeah. in how viewers responded, um, and that's because those are also two shows that are very smartly written. So it was a Band-Aid and a lazy tactic for shows that were more like broad and not nearly as clever as The Simpsons or Seinfeld. So maybe the case study here is a little bit inflated or, or a little bit loaded because those are two of the most brilliant comedy shows of all time. But maybe a show like Green Acres needed the laugh track. 
I don't know. But then you have something called cringe comedy, like The Office, shows like 30 Rock or, you know, Arrested Development, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, where a, a big part of the joke is not knowing whether it's okay to laugh or not. Right. Not knowing whether something is actually funny or not. In fact, something maybe being actively not funny and uncomfortable and then getting diffused in some clever way. Yeah, exactly. And this is where, this is where we land. If you are hearing a laugh track on a show now, in 2022 or so, then you will be hearing it ironically, or you'll be looking at an, an earlier program. The laugh track, as it is recognized as a social cue, it met a diminishing return. You know what I mean? It, like It's the idea, you know what it reminds me of? Folks, it reminds me of the old thought experiment where you say, if I had entrance music, whenever I walked into a room, what, right. what would the music would that be? make me received better? Right. Yeah. Right. Or, or would that like, what, what would be the result there? I think a big part of this too is shows have just gotten better. Like, I mean, if you, if you go back and watch like an episode of Full House or Family Matters, they're just inherently dated and just a little bit corny. And then shows like The Office and Arrested Development, they're just better shows. They're like, I think Seinfeld is one of the lone examples of sitcoms from the 90s that really still holds up and doesn't need the laugh track at all. In fact, you could argue Seinfeld was sort of the precursor to this cringe comedy. But in general... Audiences just won't stand for things that are just like super broad and corny. And therefore, maybe you could argue they've gotten smarter. I believe you, man. I, I am tempted to agree. I really like that. Also, you know, uh, I think it was, was it Larry David who pointed out the primary issue with Seinfeld? If cell phones existed when Seinfeld was being written, then none of those episodes would happen. And thank God, thank God they were slow with the cell phones coming out because, man, Seinfeld is a legitimately amazing show. It's really good. I've heard that said, and I, I don't think I quite under, maybe I just don't know Seinfeld, you know, chapter and verse enough to understand. Is it mainly just like, a lot of jokes are based around communication and like waiting for a payphone or like somebody getting like stood up or just, you know, miscommunication. Uh, is that a lot what, of miscommunication? Yeah. Just I think constantly that's the, okay. miscommunication. I think that's the deal. Where just like a simple text message would have solved this entire, all the problems of this episode. Well, you say that, but also like, then you wouldn't have a show. So well, exactly. No, no, completely true. Knowing Larry, it would just be a recursive feedback loop of weird text messages. You know what I mean? And there there would be an episode and, where he learns emoji and then one where he learns gifts. It'd right. be like hanging out with my dad. I don't know if that's the best move. <laughs> but uh I think they would have adapted. I, I think they Larry David adapted. still probably uses a flip phone if I'm not uh if I'm not being too bold there. But what's funny when you mention Larry David and sort of how curb your enthusiasm is like a progression of Seinfeld while also still kind of sticking to a lot of the things that made Seinfeld funny, because obviously Larry was a massive, if not the biggest driver in Seinfeld, he still has this lexicon of sound cues that he uses mm -hmm. all the time. Eternally. Little do 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 which is also guiding you in a funny 100%. way. But somehow it's it's more clever than the 
literally leading you by the ear laugh track. Yeah, it's less imposing, right? It it takes you... Uh, it's somewhat comforting. Yeah, it cups your elbow instead of like grabbing the back of your neck, right? Which is what a laugh track does. So, so the, uh, oh, that's a little NLP perhaps. But at this juncture, as our research associate Jeff points out, the laugh track doesn't really have a practical use other than to be commentary upon itself. Uh, it's it's strange because that pressure you were talking about earlier, man, uh, that social conformity pressure, people clocked it. And audiences are amazingly intelligent and in no small part contrarian. You know what I mean? So if if some they don't like to feel like they're being manipulated, yeah, you tell them you to laugh. They are. So the so, so the manipulation has to become much more um, subconscious. Uh, you can't like let people know they're being manipulated. But then you certainly have broader shows that you could argue are like less clever than a Curb Your Enthusiasm or Arrested Development, and they just work in broader strokes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the themes are just much bigger. The acting is much bigger. The dialogue is a little more on the nose. But still, even those shows, you don't get to have a laugh track anymore. Those days are gone. God, I love this stuff so much. Can we end today's show with doing like a really brief sitcom bit? Can we do a sitcom bit? Only if I can. Can I do the punchline? Yeah, do the punchline. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what it is. You you lead. You lead. No, no, okay, okay, okay. I got your back. All right. So um, picture it with us. There is a uh, ranch style house, right? That's our wide shot. <laughs> I love, I love that it's a ranch style. Yeah, we have to have the little bit, the little jingle here, like did it, it did it, recorded in front of a live studio audience. Back from the commercial break. Perfect. Okay, that's the name of our show. Back from the commercial. We'll make it shorter. Um, back from. We'll call it back from. All right, welcome to back. Back from and then in, and then in like parentheses the commercial break. The commercial, yes, perfect. All right, so uh, our scene opens on uh, Max Williams playing Max Williams. Uh, he is walking down the stairs because there's always a set of stairs in the background behind the couch. Max, you walk Can down. Can you be Max Williams, attorney at law? Max Williams, attorney at law. Yes, and. Uh, so Max Williams, attorney at law, walks down from the stairs, weirdly has a suit like he's going to court, and he sits on the couch and he says, Benjamin, where'd you put the orange juice today? Uh-oh. Where didn't I put it? <laughs> uh, says Ben walking from the kitchen. And then I come in and I go, Where's my orange juice? <laughs> and then everyone gets say, oh. No, no, they freak out. They lose their they mind. They think that's the, you know, because I'm a fool. I can, I just say that. I enter a room and I say, where's my orange juice? And it just so happens that it dovetail with y'all's conversation about orange what juice. Me and you have a cup of orange juice in your hand. Because uh, I've, I've, I've misplaced it, but I'm just such a buffoon uh, that I don't know that I'm, you're not I'm a holding buffoon. it in my hand. Okay, in okay, this, wait, know, wait. In this, in this scenario. Soft edit. We all are holding glasses of orange juice while we are talking about this. Boom, done, end credits. This is all big orange. 
That's right, folks. We brought to you by Big Orange. Yeah. But also, like, another fun trope in sitcoms and certain echelon of of television and movies is when people have cups of stuff, they're usually empty. And they, the the physics (laughs) of people handling those cups just doesn't line up with the reality of carrying a cup of either hot or cold liquid. A hundred percent. So we hope you enjoyed this exploration of the history of laugh tracks. Please let us know your favorite examples of it. Uh, Please let us know times that you thought a laugh track could have been used or a time a laugh track should not have been used. As always, thanks to our number one sponsor, Big Orange Juice. Uh, thanks also to Mr. Uh, Max Williams, super producer, Alex Williams, who composed the track. Oh my gosh, Noel, we're doing the ending credits, right? This is like uh, introducing the, the characters. They're losing their mind. It's sort of like at the end of certain sitcoms, you'd almost, or maybe there were special episodes mm. of sitcoms where they'd show the studio audience and then the uh, the cast would kind of come out and take a bow. That's what's happening right now. Um, Christopher Hasiotis, mm. here in spirit, his ghostly form wafts across the soundstage. There it is. Uh, and then we have a, uh, we, we have a, uh, a candid look up at the camera and pause moment. For Eve's Jeffcoat, uh, you know, you know, you just caught me hanging out. Jonathan Strickland, the Quister's bald head, pops up from behind the couch, making a sinister glare. And he has the orange shoes. He's had it the whole time. Yeah, the, the whole time. We're done. We're done. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.